Dharma, the truth. As people who have struggled with addiction, we're already intimately familiar with suffering. Even if we've never heard of the Buddha, at some level we already understand the core of his teachings, that in this life there is suffering. It can be incredibly liberating to hear this said so plainly and directly. No one is trying to convince or convert us. No one is telling us we have to believe something. No one is sugarcoating our experience. For once, it feels like we're being told the truth. Fortunately, the Buddha also taught the way to free ourselves from this suffering. The heart of these teachings, which we call the Dharma, is the Four Noble Truths. These truths and the corresponding commitments are the foundation of our program. First, there is suffering. We commit to understanding the truth of suffering. Second, there is a cause of suffering. We commit to understanding that craving leads to suffering. Third, there is an end to suffering. We commit to understanding and experiencing that less craving leads to less suffering. Fourth, there is a path that leads to the end of suffering. We commit to cultivating the path. Like a map that shows us the path, these truths help us find our way in recovery. The First Noble Truth in this life, there is suffering. Some of the ways in which we suffer are obvious, like hunger, pain, disappointment, and feeling separated or excluded. Some are less obvious, like feelings of anxiety, stress, and uncertainty. We suffer as we struggle with aging, sickness, and death. As much as we want to hold on to the things, people, and feelings we like, we always have to deal with separation and loss. They're suffering any time we want things to be different than they are. The first noble truth rests on the understanding that our lives are unsatisfactory due to the fact that experiences are impermanent and impersonal. Our senses, which the Buddha understood to include not just hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, and touch, but also thinking, are unreliable and temporary, which means that the way we experience and make sense of the world is constantly changing. We suffer because we keep expecting these temporary experiences to satisfy our craving for pleasure or to avoid pain. Many of us have suffered by trying and failing to control our dependencies, habits, and addictions. We've used every kind of willpower, bargaining, planning, and magical thinking, each time imagining the result would be different and beating ourselves up when it turned out the same. How many times did we promise just this one last time, then I'm done. I'll just use or drink on the weekends, or only after work, or only on special occasions. I'll never drink in the morning. I won't do the hard stuff. I'll never get high alone. I'll never use at work or around my family. I'll never drink and drive. I'll never use needles. How many diets have we tried? How many times have we said we wouldn't binge or purge or restrict calories or overexercise? How many times have we looked at the scars on our arms and vowed to never cut again? How many times have we let our wounds heal, only to break them open once more? How many limits have we set on ourselves around technology or work, only to get sucked back in? How many times have we vowed to have no more one-night stands? Vowed to stay away from certain people or places or websites? How many times have we crossed our own boundaries and been consumed by shame? How many mornings did we wake up hating ourselves, vowing never to do again what we did last night? 
only to find ourselves repeating the same mistake again just a few hours later. How many times did we attempt to cure our addictions with therapy, with self-help books, with cleanses, with more exercise, by changing a job or relationship? How many times did we move, thinking our shadow wouldn't follow us? How many promises did we make? How many times did we break those promises? Having suffered and struggled with addiction in its many forms, we've come to understand this first truth as it relates to recovery. Addiction is suffering. We suffer when we obsess, when we cling and grasp onto all the delusions of addiction, all the impermanent solutions to our discomfort and pain. We've tried to cure our suffering by using the very substances and behaviors that create more discomfort and pain. In all of our attempts to control our habits, we've still been clinging to the illusion that we can somehow control our experiences of the world. We're still caught in the prison of suffering. In fact, we're reinforcing the walls of that prison, building them taller and stronger as we act on our addictions. Liberation comes when we gain a clear understanding of where our real power lies and where we are throwing it away. This is a program of empowerment. It's a path of letting go of behavior that no longer serves us and cultivating that which does. Trauma and Attachment Injury For many of us, suffering also exists as trauma. Trauma is often described as the psychological damage that occurs after living through an extremely frightening or distressing event or situation. It's caused by an overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds our ability to cope and may make it hard to function even long after the event. Trauma can come from childhood experiences or from events that occur in our adulthood. It can be sudden or it can develop over time from a series of events that changed how we perceived the world. While trauma frequently comes from life-threatening events, any situation that leaves one feeling emotionally or physically in danger can be traumatic. It is important to note that it's not the objective facts of the event alone that determine how traumatic it is. It's the subjective emotional perception of the person who experiences it. Generally, the more terror and helplessness we feel, and the longer that terror lasts, the more likely it is that we'll be traumatized. Attachment injury can be just as insidious and harmful as trauma and can have the same impact. It's defined as an emotional wound to a core relationship with a caregiver, often caused by abuse, neglect, or inconsistency of care in early childhood. Attachment injury and trauma can impact our recovery and meditation practice in slightly different ways. With trauma, we may feel fear, even panic, or distrust when asked to sit in meditation, even when intellectually we know we're in a safe place with a supportive group. It may be triggering to be asked to be present in our bodies and minds, or to focus on our breath. Attachment injury may show up as a hesitation to trust people or a process, as a reluctance to be part of a recovery group, or sangha, or as a core belief that we don't belong. In this case, the nurturing thing to do for ourselves might be to lean into this discomfort and compassionately engage and investigate the stories we're telling ourselves about not belonging. Again, it's key to become aware of the nature of the harm we carry with us. Trauma and attachment injury may require different ways of feeling safe and supported. You should always do whatever is most compassionate for yourself in the moment and seek outside help when you need it. 
Trauma and attachment issues are relevant to suffering and addiction because the impact can be intense. Studies show that a majority of people who struggle with addiction have experienced trauma at some point in their lives. The same system that serves to keep us safe from harm is also the one that fuels the mechanisms of aversion and craving that perpetuates suffering. This system can be overactive when trauma is present because it perceives a very real threat and the body often responds with feelings of helplessness, fear, and vulnerability. This system can be easily thrown into overdrive when one's life experience screams, you're not safe, danger, danger. For some people, symptoms of trauma may be increasingly severe and last long after the events that originally caused the trauma have ended. Many of us have intrusive thoughts that seem to come out of the blue, or we feel confusion or mood swings we can't tie to specific events. Traumatic responses may lead us to avoid activities or places that trigger memories of the event. We can become socially isolated and withdrawn, and lose interest in things we used to enjoy. Trauma may mean we're easily startled, edgy, or dysfunctional during sex or other activities, or unusually alert to potential danger. Overwhelming fear, anxiety, detachment, and isolation, shame, and anger may become background states of our activities. There are many other effects of trauma that may be triggered by social interactions or even during work or meditation, areas that may seem disconnected from the original events. Trauma and attachment issues can certainly lead to the fear, anger, anxiety, and loneliness that are common responses to the experience of life. But at a deeper level, trauma makes it harder for us to cope in general, to form healthy or safe relationships, to develop an identity in the world, or to defend ourselves. No two of us will react to the same experience in the same way. But this truth points to the fact that certain kinds of experiences in our pasts can affect our responses later in life. This is key to understanding dukkha and to meeting our experience with compassion and kindness rather than judgment, not only for others, but also for ourselves, which is an essential part of recovery. Many of us turn to addictive substances and behaviors as a way to cope with our trauma. In some ways, running from the pain of our experiences through our addictions was itself a survival technique when it felt like we wouldn't be able to live through the pain of our memories. While this may have provided some temporary relief, it did nothing to actually heal the pain of our trauma and often led to even more pain. Our trauma is not our fault, but healing from it is our responsibility and our right. Developing understanding and compassion toward the way trauma affects our reactions to events or circumstances now is an important part of that healing. The Second Noble Truth there is a cause of suffering. As people who have become dependent on substances and behaviors, we've all experienced the sense of failure and hopelessness that comes from trying and failing to let go of our fixations. Addiction itself increases our suffering by creating a hope that both pleasure and escape can be permanent. We go through this suffering again and again because substances or behaviors can only give us temporary relief to our pain, our unhappiness, and our lost or damaged sense of self. Our refusal to accept the way things are leads to wanting or craving, which is the cause of suffering. We don't suffer because of the way things are, 
but because we want or think we need those things to be different. We suffer because we cling to the idea that we can satisfy our own cravings while ignoring the conditions of the world around us. Above all, we cling to the idea that we can hold on to impermanent and unreliable things, things that can't ever lead to real satisfaction or lasting happiness without experiencing the suffering of one day losing them. Clinging to impermanent solutions for suffering results in craving. We experience craving like a thirst, an unsatisfied longing, and it can become a driving force in our lives. If craving goes beyond simple desire, which is a natural part of life, it often leads us to fixation, obsession, and the delusional belief that we can't be happy without getting what we crave. It warps our intentions so that we make choices that harm ourselves and others. This repetitive craving and obsessive drive to satisfy it leads to what we now know as addiction. Addiction occupies the part of our minds that chooses, our will, and replaces compassion, kindness, generosity, honesty, and other intentions that might have been there. Many of us experience addiction as the loss of our freedom to choose. It's the addiction that seems to be making our choices for us. In the way we must have food, shelter, or water, our mind can tell us we must have some substance, buy or steal something, satisfy some lust, keep acting until we need some needed result, that we must protect ourselves at all cost and attack people with whom we disagree or people who have something we want. This need also leads to an unsettled or agitated state of mind that tells us we'll only be happy if we get certain results or feel a certain way. We want to be someone we're not, or we don't want to be who we are. Conditions or circumstances in and of themselves don't cause suffering. They can cause pain or unpleasant experiences, but we add suffering on top of this when we think we need those circumstances to be different. We create even more suffering when we act out in ways that deny the reality of the circumstances and the reality of impermanence. Craving is the underlying motive that fuels unwise actions that create suffering. The Third Noble Truth There is an end of suffering. It is possible to end our suffering. When we come to understand the nature of our craving and realize that all our experiences are temporary by nature, we can begin a more skillful way to live with the dissatisfaction that is part of being human. We don't need to be torn apart by our thoughts and feelings that say, I have to be more than that, or I'll do anything to get rid of that. The third noble truth is that the end of craving is possible. Each of us has the capacity for recovery. We are responsible for our own actions and for the energy we give our thoughts and feelings. This means we have control over our own suffering because the unpleasant emotions take place within us. We create them through our response to experience. We don't need to depend on anyone or anything else to remove the causes of our suffering. We may not be able to control anything out there, but we can learn to choose what we think, say, and do. We come to understand that if our thoughts, words, and actions are driven by greed, hatred, or confusion, we are creating suffering. And so if we let go of these actions, we can avoid suffering in the future. We can choose to give up the causes of disturbing and unpleasant emotions, knowing that virtuous actions result in happiness and unvirtuous actions result in suffering. 
This is the true empowerment and freedom of recovery, recognizing that happiness and suffering are entirely up to us, based on how we choose to respond to our experiences. The Fourth Noble Truth The Eightfold Path to the End of Suffering The Buddha taught that by living ethically, practicing meditation, and developing wisdom and compassion, we can end the suffering we create by resisting, running from, and misunderstanding reality. The Fourth Noble Truth is a summary of the essential elements to recovery, or awakening, called the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is a skill set, a set of instructions, a practice, and a way to investigate and be aware of the conditioned responses we cling to. These are the eight skills of the Eightfold Path. Wise understanding, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. These eight skills can be broken down into three groups. The wisdom group of wise understanding and intention, the ethics group of wise speech, action, and livelihood, and the concentration group of wise effort, mindfulness, and concentration. Each of us will understand and practice each aspect of this eightfold path in our own way. We develop our wisdom, ethical practice, and concentration as far as we can in any given moment. As we come to a deeper understanding of the Four Noble Truths, we're able to bring more effort and concentration to letting go of our greed, hatred, and confusion. Our ethical development will cause us to reflect more deeply on the sources of our unwise actions. The Eightfold Path is a way of life that each of us follows and practices to the best of our current understanding and capacity. The path is not a religious journey and has nothing to do with belief, prayer, worship, or ceremony. It's a guide to practice and a road that leads to a deep experience of the Noble Truths.